NFL fans and welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host Dave Holcomb. We have a great show for you today. This week, finally, we get to talk about training camp and less off the field news. There's been lots of arrests and guy getting arrested for murder, for accused of murder, Aaron Hernandez. So it's great to finally have the players on the field and talking about what's going to happen this upcoming season. Of course, our first segment unfortunately going to be dedicated to players mostly not going to be on the field because of injuries suffered in the last week or so. So we'll we'll cover all those major injuries going on in early part of training camp. And our second segment, talk about position battles in three uh, different camps across the country. We're going to go to Bill's camp at the quarterback position, Green Bay to their running back position, and then the St. Louis Rams for the first time have a competition at running back without Steven Jackson or Marsha, uh, Marshall Falk for the first time in who knew how long, over 15-plus years since a running back competition in St. Louis. Then we conclude with our fourth and long segment where we go to Washington, New England, and then uh, talk about who will be the most improved team in 2013. But let's start off with those injuries that I referenced before. Top injury that just happened over the weekend Dan Coppin, the center for the Denver Broncos, projected to be their starting center this year, is in his 11th season in the NFL. He actually spent his first nine years with New England. A guy that another guy that former Patriot paired up with Peyton Manning now in Denver. He tore his ACL on Sunday, uh, got stuck in a pile during a nine-on-seven drills. So he's done. He's out for the season. Uh, MRI revealed that uh, that ACL is, in fact, torn. So he has done a huge blow for the Denver Broncos, who all of a sudden may have a patched-up offensive line going into this year. Ryan Claddy, the all-pro tackle, uh, signed a huge contract extension before training camp, $57.5 million in that contract. Um, but right after that, he was recovering from right shoulder surgery. He's limited early on in training camp. Come the season, he should be fine, but so far he's been limited. And then guys, Orlando Franklin and Chris Cooper, also on that offensive line. Uh, Cooper, a guard. Franklin, a tackle. Both coming off surgeries from the offseason. So the only uh, guy left on the offensive line that is completely unscathed, no no surgery recovering from, uh, no injury, is left guard Zane Beatles. He is the only completely healthy guy on the offensive line. So the, the, obviously the Broncos are hoping that the other three guys coming off their surgeries will be fine, but definitely a huge loss is Dan Copen, uh, the center for the Broncos, a very good player. Replacing him, actually, <laughs> I think this is quite funny. The the guy that replaced him in practice on Sunday is named Manny Ramirez. So hopefully he doesn't get a, or he, hopefully he doesn't test positive for any drugs or anything. Uh, that would be uh, another huge blow for the Broncos. Uh, but they also signed uh, center Steve Valos to add to that uh, roster. 
uh, pending a physical, he will be added to the Broncos uh, roster in training camp this week. Valos uh, has been a journeyman through the NFL. He's uh, in his he's a six year veteran. And he's played for the Seahawks, Browns, Eagles, and Jaguars. He has a career. He has nine career starts in the NFL. Moving on to the Super Bowl champions who actually defeated the Broncos in the playoffs. Dennis Pitta fractured and dislocated his hip over the weekend. Another really big blow to the Super Bowl champions, a team that I think were really going to rely on the tight end position and Pitta this season to not just you know do the normal things that tight ends do, but in fact be a potent um pass catcher in in the the passing game for Joe Flacco. Flacco lost his top target or maybe his maybe not top target but favorite target in Anquan Bolden. Still has Torrey Smith. Uh, he's the speedster on the outside, but he's going to be getting a lot of double coverage. It'd be nice to have a guy that can catch the ball over the middle, which Bolden did last season. Pitta did some as well. If you look at Pitta's numbers, he, in his third season last year, in his first year, he barely, he barely, well, he did play. He played in 11 games, but he only had one catch. 2011, 40 catches. That went up to 61 in 2012. And then his yards went up from 405 to 669. That's his receiving yards. And touchdowns went up from 3 to 7 from 11 to, 2011 to 2012. So improvements in all three categories. I think they were expecting Pitta to improve again in all three categories, perhaps even approach the 1,000 receiving yards mark, definitely uh, increase the touchdowns, and now he's he's out for the season. was confirmed by Ravens coach John Harbaugh. His hip surgery that he'll be having very sh- shortly puts him out for the entire year. Huge blow for the Ravens. They have signed a new tight end in Vishanti Shaco. He's actually somewhat of a journeyman himself. He started his career with the Giants, uh, but is probably most well-known for his years with the Vikings from 2007 to 2011. Didn't play at all last year. I think that is a real indication that Baltimore is very desperate at tight end. It's great that they were able to find a guy that is a well-known name, or at least some somewhat well-known. Um, in his prime was probably... A decent backup tight end in uh, in fantasy terms. I'm talking fantasy. A, a, a decent starting tight end. And for offensive purposes, offensive statistic purposes, uh, a decent tight end. But it really does indicate to me the fact that he did not play last year and he's being brought in to replace Dennis Pitta indicates to me that the Ravens are pretty desperate at tight end. Now they have some other names on the roster, including Ed Dixon, who will probably end up being the starter unless Ashenko beats him out. But it's pretty thin at tight end, and it's just another position, another guy that the Ravens are going to have to do without. That's going to be the story of their season. Can they overcome the loss of Ray Lewis, the loss of Ed Reed? Paul Kruger, and then the guys on the offensive side, Anquan Bolden, now Dennis Pitta. Maybe they bring back Vontae Leach, but he's another guy 
that needs to be replaced on the field and off the field. What he did in the clubhouse needs to be replaced. So very bad news out of Baltimore with Pitta going down. Staying with a bird team, the Eagles have just as bad of an injury. All of these injuries just so so weird to me that they've all are occurring in the first couple of days of training camp and they're all big name guys. And for the Eagles, Jeremy Macklin tore his ACL. He's done. He's out for the year. A, a huge, I keep saying a huge blow, but they are. They all are. Macklin was supposed to be, he's really taken over the Eagles receiving core and he is now the guy there with Deshaun Jackson and his issues. Macklin has taken over. But he's done. He's out for the year, tore the ACL uh, in practice over the weekend. No replacement yet for him. The Eagles have not signed anybody or, or noted who's, who's going to play in his place. So uh, we'll keep you posted on the show and Future shows on who uh, the Eagles might replace with Macklin. Uh, most of the coverage for the Eagles has been about their quarterback situation. Uh, obviously, they have a three-quarterback race right now for the starting position. But whoever is starting, they are going to miss Jeremy Macklin immensely this season. And an interesting note about Macklin, he was actually in the last year of his contract. So he will be a free agent this offseason season. I don't know if the Eagles have a real strong sense as to whether they want to bring back Macklin next year or not, but many uh, reports uh, online have, have suggested that wherever Macklin ends up, he'll actually have to probably sign a one-year contract and then prove that he's recovered completely from ACL injury of the ACL surgery that he'll have uh, probably in the next week or so. Um, and that's... The one good news, good piece of news for Macklin, though, is it's happening early enough where he will be ready for 2014. And a team, as a free agent, many teams would probably say, oh, we don't want to sign this guy. He's not going to be ready for the season anyway. But many teams will have their doubts, obviously, of a guy, a wide receiver coming off a major surgery to the knee, even though we've seen players recover to be even better off the ACL injuries, uh, a.k.a. Adrian Peterson. But um, the the good news is that he will be ready for 2014 and the team will probably take a risk, you know, a semi, it can still be called a semi-risk on him for next year, probably in a one-year contract. And the last injury we're going to go over in our first segment, Percy Harvin tore his hip labrum, they're still debating in Seattle whether he's going to have surgery or not. Now, if he does end up having surgery, he is done for the season along with all these guys as well. But the Seahawks are very hopeful that that will not be the case. Uh, Pete Carroll confirmed what I just said, that if, in fact, he has to go in for surgery, he is done. But they're hoping that the, this guy, uh, Harvin, that they brought in to be an extra weapon at the wide receiver position, a return man, also can line up at running back. Uh, huge signing for these guys. As in in many ways, the Seahawks and 49ers are kind of in an arms race <laughs> um, this offseason with each making move kind of matching the other move. And one team gets bold and the other one gets Harvin. So it's it's 
kind of funny the way that it worked out this offseason. One thing that is positive for Harvin, uh, besides the fact that the Seahawks and Harvin also believe that they can avoid surgery and have him play this season, one of the reasons they believe that is Seahawks safety Cam Chancellor last year actually played with a similar injury. And when I mean similar, he also had a torn hip labrum and played the entire season and then got surgery in the offseason. Now, we can't obviously state whether the surgery or, excuse me, whether the injuries are exactly the same. From what I understand about torn hip labrums, there's, there's tissue in there and a certain amount of tissue can be torn more than another person's injury or another person's uh, uh, torn hip labrum. So we don't know the extent of the similarity between Harvin and Chancellor's injuries. But the fact that there's even hope that Harvin can play this season I think is very good for the Seahawks and very good for Harvin. This is a team that thinks they can win the Super Bowl. And... They have every right to believe that. And Harvin is going to be a huge part of that Super Bowl run if it occurs this season. So I think the the Seahawks, Pete Carroll, and Percy Harvin are going to do everything they can to make sure that he's on the field as much as possible in 2013. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with our position battles in our second segment. Oh, such a great song. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. That is the opening song on Bon Jovi's newest album, What About Now? I keep getting confused with the, the opening title of the song, Because We Can, and the name of the album, the name of the album, which is also one of the songs that we'll play later on the show, uh, the, the album called What About Now? which I saw Bon Jovi on uh, Saturday night at Giant Stadium, actually. <laughs> I say that half kidding. Sorry. At MetLife Stadium. Sorry, Jeff Hans. Um, great, great show. Awesome seeing him in New Jersey. Obviously, I think everyone should know that Bon Jovi's from New Jersey. Uh, very touching concert just a year after uh, Sandy hit New Jersey so hard, and he's done a lot. Bon Jovi's done a lot to raise money to help his his home in New Jersey and it was absolutely great show to see him he played for we're now going to move into our second segment where we talk position battles we got I got the idea from an article up on our website written by Alicia Taworski man I have trouble with these last names every single week uh Alicia I hope I didn't mess up your last name or your first name So, but I give her credit with her her article on uh, our website, NFL Training Camp 2013, Top 10 Position Battles to Watch. Now, she lists 10 position battles. Uh, I picked three that interest me the most. And we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills quarterback position. EJ Manuel and Kevin Cobb are battling it out. They have a new head coach in Buffalo. And Doug Marone, the former head coach of Syracuse, so he knows upstate New York very well. He's used to the snow. 
I say that because I went to school in Syracuse. A um, couple things I want to say about this position battle. Alicia predicted that Kevin Cobb would be the winner, and at first I agreed with that. I thought I think Cobb. In a way, I think Cobb is going to be a better quarterback for this year. EJ Manuel is obviously, I think it's pretty obvious that the Bills hope, at least hope, that he is the future of the franchise. But the nature of the way the Buffalo Bills are run and the feeling that I get from Doug Marone and what he said to the media this week, he said that the player that gives them the best chance to win immediately will start. Now, I just said Kevin Cobb gives them the best chance to start, but I think the way the Buffalo Bills work, the way the NFL works where you have at maximum three seasons to turn a team into a winner or you're fired, especially in Buffalo with the amount of head coaches they've gone through in recent years, I think Marone is going to feel the pressure and he's going to start EJ Manuel right away. There's obviously a reason that he picked Manuel 16th overall in the draft. When people, NFL experts, didn't even have Manuel going in the first round, had him at what, third, fourth, even fifth among quarterbacks? How low was he on quarterbacks? At the very least, he should not have gone in the first round. And Buffalo probably could have kept the Buffalo traded down from the eighth spot. And picked Manuel 16th. They could have very easily continued to trade down into the, out of the first round. Could have even traded out of the first round. And still take Emmanuel. But the fact is they liked this guy. They think that he is worth the selection that they chose him. I think they're crazy. But that's what they believe. So I, for better or for worse, I think EJ Manuel will be the starter. Because of where he got picked and because of the pressure that a first-time head coach in the NFL is going to be feeling. And I think there's always a sense in the NFL, if I'm going to go down, if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to go down with the guys that I pick. Kevin Cobb wasn't really a pick, although I'm sure Marone had something to do with his signing. I think Marone is going to feel somewhat favor, fa- some favoritism towards Manuel because Manuel was the first ever player that he selected in an NFL draft. To the Cheeseheads in Green Bay, the Packers have a position battle at running back. Again, <laughs> seems like this happens every summer. But as Alicia points out in her article, it's actually a legitimate competition this year, as in past years. Guys like James Starks, Alex Green, don't really know what you're going to get from them. Always seem to be injured, and that's still the case for Starks and Green. Uh, who, but they're on the outside looking in, as Alicia lists a couple other guys, including two rookies that the Packers selected in this year's draft, Eddie Lacy and Jonathan Franklin, who will be competing for uh, that running back position. I didn't really understand why Eddie Lacy fell out of the first round. I'm not a huge college guy, uh, so I didn't, I don't follow it too closely. But I saw Alabama play probably more than anybody else last year, and every time Eddie Lacy touched the ball, he just was pounding people. 
And maybe he had off-the-field issues that I'm unaware of or something. I don't know. I, but I'm not sure exactly why Eddie Lacy fell in the draft. To me, he fell. Maybe he was projected to be a second-round pick. But uh, that's where the Packers took him. I think he's a steal. I think Eddie Lacy is going to be the starter this season and be very good uh, under uh, Green Bay. Maybe Give them somewhat of a power game and a running game which Aaron Rodgers has lacked really throughout his career in Green Bay. The last time the Packers really had a good season at running back, I think you have to go all the way back to 2008. Was it 2008? No, it wasn't even 2000. It was 2007, I believe, when the Packers made it all the way to the championship game and Ryan Grant was their running back. Now, Ryan Grant continued to be their running back in 2008 and 2009 and had good seasons. But then in 2010 was the year that he got injured. And, of course, the Packers won the Super Bowl that season but didn't ever really get anything going on the ground that was heavily Aaron Rodgers and the defense. And ever since, Ryan Grant never really was the same player again. And guys like James Starks and Alex Green were supposed to step up but were, were suffering from injuries. So, finally, I think the Packers are going to have a good running back in Eddie Lacy and be able to establish a running game, which makes them a much stronger team, I think, immediately if they can get a running game going. And the last position battle we're going to go over, interesting one to me, the St. Louis Rams have a competition at running back for the first time in, what, 15, 20 years? It's been a long time, maybe not that long, but a long time since the Rams have had uncertainty at running back with Marshall Falk and Steven Jackson really controlling the position for the last decade and a half, about. Guys that the Rams have competing at that position, Daryl Richardson, Isaiah Pede, and Zach Stacy. Elijah has Daryl Richardson winning the job as Pede really struggled early on last year uh, and fell down the depth chart. But he was supposed to be the number two guy. So I'm going to actually disagree with Elijah and go with Pede. I think Pede is still the guy in St. Louis. And as a Big East person myself, (laughs) even though it doesn't exist anymore, I'm still going to go with the Big East guy. Uh, Pede uh, graduated from Cincinnati. Although Pede, in a little bit of trouble, he did get a one-game suspension for the possession of marijuana. So Richardson will have that over him, which Elijah points out in her article. But I, I'm just leaning towards Pede because he, he has the skills. He has, he's, he's a very fast guy. He's a very quick guy. Maybe he's better suited as a change of pace back, which I think the Rams were excited about him being a change of pace back. Last year with Steven Jackson, and it never really panned out, and now Jackson is gone. So maybe Pete will be a change of pace back for Richardson. Who knows? But I do think Pete is going to be a major point, uh, a major uh, emphasis on the Rams' offense this season. As To me, the, the Rams really could make some noise. They're a team that's not that far away. They have a good head coach in Jeff Fisher, a coach that knows how to put together winning football teams. And I think Sam Bradford, I think he finally puts it all together this season. I think he puts it all together and makes the Rams. They're in a tough division. That's one thing 
that is going to be hard for them. It's going to be really tough with the 49ers and Seahawks. But the Rams are going to make some noise this year. I really, I really think they'll make some noise out there in the West. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with our fourth and long segment. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. Send me an email, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Facebook, Dave's Football News. Search that in your Facebook toolbar. We're going to move on to our signature fourth and long segment where I say three statements and I'm either going to agree with the statement and grunt on fourth and long, or I'm going to disagree and punt, and punt it away. So, being that it's training camp, training camp started, I thought it would be fitting if we go ahead and start making predictions. (laughs) Can't have enough predictions, right? So, this will be the first few predictions of our show uh, in its second season. So, here we go. The Washington Redskins will repeat as NFC East champions in 2013. I'm going to punt that away. I know that there's been a lot of talk about the Dallas Cowboys and how great the Cowboys are or or are going to be, or at least how dramatic they're going to be. And I think many people are tired of that. (laughs) If you listen to the other podcast on Football Nation, Alex Reamer certainly is tired of it. Uh, His podcast comes out every Wednesday. So definitely check that out. Him and many others don't believe that the Cowboys are going to be any good. I agree. To an extent, I think that they're going to be somewhat around 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. They should be better because I, I think the reason why they get so much attention is because they should be better. And you know what? They deserve that attention. I, I can't believe I'm saying that the Cowboys deserve the attention that they get. But I don't think it's um, it's because of their America's team is the reason why, and I say that in quotes, America's team. I don't think that's the reason why they get all the attention that they do. I think they get all the – maybe that's part of it. But I think most of the reason why they get the attention that they do is because they're an underachieving team. They're like the New York Jets. Yes, the Jets are in a big market, but the huge reason why the Jets get all the coverage that they do is because they are an underachieving team. They should be better than what they are. Think about it. The teams that get a lot of coverage are normally the teams that do better than what they should and the teams that do worse than what they should. For right or for wrong, that's normally how it works. Now, there are exceptions, I think, In the Jets' case, the Jets get covered because they're a New York team. At least by major... I'm talking about ESPN, Yahoo Sports. I'm talking the major uh, uh, news outlets on on the web, uh, on TV, whatever. If you're going for a, a nationally story, the teams that get covered are are covered for these reasons. But... Anyway, going back to the Redskins, I just think that 
they kind of got like they I think they kind of caught lightning in a bottle. And I don't mean to suggest that RG3 isn't going to be as good as he was last year. But I guess I am going to suggest that and say that I have my doubts. Him coming off major ACL surgery. The surgery just occurred in December. Uh, excuse me, it didn't, not December, January. It was January he got the injury and then the surgery. So, and I know that, I'm going to reference Alex Reamer again, that the modern science, a.k.a. drugs, allow a person to come back from an injury like that much quicker than in the past. And I don't mean to suggest that RG3 is on HGH or anything like that. Although I think many people, including Alex Reamer himself, would suggest that. Anyway, I just have my doubts about RG3 returning to his 2012 form. Same thing with Alfred Morris. And how good is this defense going to be? I know that they're a defense that was decent last year. They, they showed some signs of being good and they're a young defense. But they got gashed in the passing game time and time and time again. I have my doubts as to if they can continue or repeat their success from last year with a tough division. We don't really know what we're going to get from the Eagles. Presumably the Eagles are probably going to be the last place team. And then somewhere in between 8-8 eight and eight and then 11-5, 12-4 maybe – the Eagles, Giants, and Redskins are going to fall. Somewhere between that 7-9, and 8-8, eight and, eight, and then like the 11-5 and 12-4 and mark. All three of them are going to fall between there. So, I mean, uh, to be honest, your guess is as good as mine. But I would go with the Giants winning the East at this point. I think Eli Manning, Tom Coughlin, and that defense get back to what they have done in previous years. And they get the job done winning the, winning the division over the Redskins and Cowboys. My second statement, the New England Patriots will get dethroned in the AFC East as division champions. It's been a heavily talked about topic through minicamp and through the summer, really after Aaron Hernandez was arrested. It's worth talking about. I think the offense is definitely taking, it's going to take a huge hit and that it's, That doesn't even need to be said. Hernandez out for the season. Not on the team anymore. Wes Welker left for Denver. How bad of a move does that look now on New England's part? Do you think they would take that back if they knew the thing with Hernandez was going to happen? And their other tight end, Rob Gronkowski, is going to be out, looks like, for the first six games of the season. But I just can't pick anybody in the AFC East to dethrone them. By default, I think the Patriots win the division again. And I don't think they're going to get home. I absolutely do not think they'll get home field advantage. They will not be the best record team in the AFC. They will not get a bye. But they're going to get a home playoff game. Virtue of just being in a weak, very weak division. The only team that I could see beating them out is Miami. And Miami is actually the most recent team to beat out New England for the for the uh, division back in 2008. I believe that's the only time since 2003. It's definitely the only time since 2003 where the Patriots did not make the playoffs. 
I think it's the only time since 2003 where they didn't win the division, too. So Miami is the only team in 10 years besides New England to have won the AFC East. They have a chance to do it. I think there's a lot of hoopla around them because of their free agents they signed. But I just don't like picking a team that has so many free agents, so many new moving parts, especially on offense, to mesh together in time to do well, especially when I follow the Mike Wallace and the Steelers very closely. And the kind of season that he had last year completely turned me off of his character on the field. Mike Wallace is a good wide receiver. I would even go as far as to say he's a great wide receiver, but I think he's overrated, and I don't think he is a guy that you would generally want in your locker room. He is not a team player. That being said, him along with Ryan Tannehill and other pieces on the offense, I think the Dolphins will be improved. I don't think they're a playoff team. And the Jets and Bills, forget it. There's almost no hope, I feel like, in for, for the Jets and Bills. And to be honest, I think the Bills are even in a worse situation than the Jets. Neither team knows what quarterback's going to start. Neither defense is that great. The Jets lost Darrell Rivas, their best player. Their, arguably their second best player, Santonio Holmes, doesn't look like that he's going to be playing much. Who knows? And the Bills, I guess C.J. Spiller is probably their best player. And he... Did have a good season last year, but how much is he really going to be able to do uh, with with all those the p- missing pieces in Buffalo? Uh, Buffalo really does not have a chance, I think, this year for for the division. So by default, yeah, I'm going to um, well, I'm going to punt away, a punt away again that the Patriots will not get dethroned in the AFC East. And for my last statement, there's an interesting article on FootballNation.com. The NFL's top five most improved teams of 2013. Another article from Elijah Tworsky. Probably said your last name even dif- differently that time. <laughs> but lots of love for Elijah this week, uh, ri- writing some great stuff. And she said the top five most improved teams predicting for this coming season. Sorry, Elijah, I am going to reveal number one, but you should check out the article for the other four. Number one for her the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So my statement, the Bucks will be the most improved team in 2013. I don't want to get into semantics about whether what what you will define as most improved. Now, I think there are some teams, for instance, New Orleans Saints, even like the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team that finished around 8 and 8 that's normally a playoff team, if they go 11 and 5 or 12 and 4, and in the Saints case, I think the Saints could have a huge um, comeback and <laughs> dominate if they get back to their what, their form and what they can do. They could go 14-2. and two. But um, if you define that a team that went 8-8 eight and eight and then goes returns to the playoffs, that could be considered, I think, most improved. But a team that finished more towards the bottom, or uh, if you want to take a last place team that's going to be most improved, I, I'm going to grunt and say that it, is, it, it will be Tampa Bay. I think they've added some great pieces, which they haven't, Tampa Bay hasn't been real active in free agency in years past, but was real active uh, this season. And all of the pieces 
that they added came on the defensive side of the ball and then in the secondary. They they signed Pro Bowl safety Deshaun Golston, cornerback Jonathan Banks, and then traded for Darrell Revis. So immediate impacts in making that secondary better. And some of the receivers that the Bucks will face in 2013 that Elijah lists in her article, Roddy White, Julio Jones, they're going to face twice because of the division. Marcus Colston, they face twice with, with uh, Drew Brees. They face Larry Fitzgerald, Mike Wallace, Steve Smith twice with Cam Newton, a potent passer, Percy Harvin if he's on the field, and Calvin Johnson. So Darrell Revis, along with the other guys that they added, Huge additions in trying to shut down those guys and every week the top receiver that the other team has. Tampa Bay, I agree with you know a little uh, sub-note that perhaps a team like the New Orleans Saints could, could be the most improved. But I do think Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially because, well, very quickly hinting on their offensive side of the ball. I think Josh Freeman along with uh, Sam Bradford, what I said before, I think Josh Freeman in a contract year, he puts it together. Second year with Greg Schiano, I think he had a slump at the end of last season and everyone was saying that's the real Josh Freeman, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Yes, he has to be more consistent and not go through slumps like that, but I think Josh Freeman is going to have a completely good season this year. Maybe we see Tampa Bay in the playoffs. I don't want to – I think they're similar as – they're on the similar uh, category as I put the Rams. Uh, Tampa Bay, I think, is in a tough division. I think, as I've said, the Saints are going to make a comeback. The Falcons are a premier team in the league. Carolina, I think they're they're towards the bottom of that division. Tampa Bay is going to have a hard time making the playoffs just because I think the Falcons and Saints are going to finish in front of them. But Tampa Bay, like the Rams, because of their quarterback play, and then Tampa Bay, obvious uh, additions, positive additions to that defense, they are going to be the most improved team in 2013, I predict. All right, here's one more from Bon Jovi's latest album, What About Now? The song has the same title, and then we're going to come back and wrap up today's show. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, you can tweet at me, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. Send me an email, HolcombMDavid at gmail.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Dave's Football News. I'm going to leave with this bit of information. Donovan McNabb, the former Eagle quarterback, will retire as an Eagle. He will sign a one-day contract. We've seen this done a lot with uh, t- players and teams over the years. Uh, him and o- Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie will have a press conference later today on Monday. And uh, if McNabb will officially retire as a Philadelphia Eagle. Of course, he did not play at all last year, so <laughs> I didn't even know he wasn't officially retired. Uh, he sat out the 2012 season after two very poor seasons in Washington and Minnesota after leaving the Eagles. But he will be back in Philadelphia 
uh, Monday to retire in green. McNabb led the Eagles to 91 regular season wins and nine playoff victories, five NFC titles with McNabb as the starter, five appearances in the NFC Championship game, and then took them to Super Bowl 39 where they fell to uh, the New England Patriots who were in the midst of their dynasty years. So I think that's a great story, great thing for McNabb, a guy that I really liked watching as a kid. Uh, Great to see him retire with his original team. All right, that's all we have for today's show. Hope you enjoyed us. Hope you enjoy training camp throughout the week. And then don't forget, we'll be back here on Monday once again on Football Nation. But in the meantime, I'm going to go try and find some peace in my mind. 